This is a parable entitled, two, I call it Two Bad Boys. It's probably the parable of the two sons. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Um, and basically it is a lesson on doing what you say, what you say you're going to do and saying what you need to do. Let me back up and get your running start so we have the context. I'm going to start at verse 23 if you have your copy of God's Word of Matthew chapter 21. Verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching because the day before he had gone in and, and uh, cleansed the temple, had overturned the tables of the money changers. So this is the next day he comes in. The chief priests and elders came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, You better be careful when you ask Jesus a question, because he'll turn it around on you. I also will ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or from men? And they argued with one another, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, Why then do you not believe in him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the multitude for all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. He said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then with that as the backdrop, he tells a parable. And you can see the, the relation between the two. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, tax collectors and harlots, go into the kingdom of heaven before you. I'm going to keep going. For John came to you in his way of righteousness and you did not believe in him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward repent. And believe him. What was John the Baptist preaching? He was preaching a, a baptism to, for repentance of sins. They did not believe nor repent. Bow with me. Father, as we come this evening on the eve of a lot going on and the threshold of even more, it's easy to say one thing and do another. You've always been more interested in actions than in words. But words are important too. So let our words and our actions verify our love for you. And let all that we say and all that we do honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. I preached on this parable two bad boys several years ago. And unfortunately, we had parent-child dedication service that morning. We had two boys being dedicated. I'm afraid I may have marked them for life because I followed them throughout Sunday school and it's not going well. Just kidding. <laughs> this parable, like so many other parables, is set against the backdrop of challenges and questions that the scribes and Pharisees come up to Jesus. And Jesus never comes right out and confronts or challenges them, but he will tell a parable that if you think about it, you realize the, the depth of what is saying. The Jewish leaders have a perfectly good system of laws and rituals and sacrifices, but Jesus and his disciples just aren't playing along. And they are putting it mildly, just rocking the boat. 
But instead of coming out and rebuking the Jewish religious leaders directly and embarrassing them in front of everyone, Jesus tells stories and parables and leaves it up to the listeners to make the application. You can apply it to yourself if you want to, in other words, if the shoe fits, or as most of us have become so adept at doing, we assume he must be talking about someone else. Here's the setting. Jesus just entered the city of Jerusalem yesterday. It was the triumph of Palm Sunday. The crowds were cheering. The disciples were thrilled. His enemies were wringing their hands in despair. All the disciples' plans are going great and their hopes for power are about to be realized, or so they thought. Things are rolling along nicely. But then, the, but then the master proceeds to cleanse the temple of its coin changers and merchants who have a hefty business selling sacrificial birds and animals. It had gotten so out of hand and so underhanded that Jesus labeled it a robber's den. So we could, it should come as no surprise that the religious establishment is in an uproar because Jesus just turned upside down their whole money-making ventures there in the temple. The high priest himself had authorized the stalls in the temple courtyard where the business was being transacted and he was getting a piece of the action. So Jesus left that evening of Palm Sunday with the religious leaders standing there totally outraged and totally helpless. They couldn't stop this man who obviously had, had come into the city and won the whole crowd over. It was just not the right time. So they bided their time. Like a hit and run, Jesus went a few miles back out to Bethany to spend the evening. But the next morning he returned to the scene of the crime and he came back into the temple. And this time the religious authorities were lying in wait for him. I imagine the tables had been set back up, business underway as usual. But before Jesus could do anything drastic again, they cornered him and demanded an answer to a question. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? After all, we're in charge here. We're the religious establishment. We have the high priest backing us. As usual, Jesus was ready and he answered their question with a question. By what authority did John the Baptist preach? Was it by man's authority or God's? And it was a no-win situation for the scribes and Pharisees. It was a catch-22 kind of question. For no matter how they answer it, they're going to lose. For if they say John the Baptist preached by man's authority, the people will be in an uproar because John the Baptist was incredibly popular and he was seen as a prophet from God. But if they say he was sent by God and he preached by God's authority, then Jesus could ask them why they neither believed nor obeyed John's message with the crowds standing nearby and overhearing everything that was being transacted. And so Jesus turned the tables quickly and his enemies were on the horns of a dilemma. And while they're squirming, Jesus proceeds to tell a parable and its meaning is clear and its story is true to life. It's usually called the parable of the two sons. And in Matthew 21, there are actually three parables, all dealing with judgment and all coincidentally dealing with vineyards. And the point of the parable is this, Jesus is wanting to teach his followers and in contrast to the religious leaders that obedience to God is more than just lip service. Here it is, real simple. The father asks his two sons to go out into the vineyard and work. And the first one says he won't go and yet he does. 
The second one says he will go, but then he doesn't. And Jesus asks in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? And the emphasis, I think, is on the word did. Who, who did the will of his father? You see how Jesus phrases the question to get the answer he wants? Neither boy was perfect. Neither boy was somebody you wanted to write home about. One said he wouldn't, but he did. One said he would, but he didn't. I wish there was a third son who said he would, and then he did what he said he would do. But we don't have that perfect son. So we have to deal with the better of the two bad boys who made promises, both of them unkept. It reminded me of a story about a man who made his sons work in the cornfields while their friends were spending their afternoons in the swimming hole. Someone scolded the father and asked him, why do you make those boys work so hard? You don't need all that corn. And the father replied, sir, I'm not raising corn. I'm raising sons. The father in this parable represents God and these two boys represent groups of us. So let's take it backwards. Let's start with the second son first who said he would, but he didn't. His father asked him to go and work in the vineyard. He said, yes, sir, I'll be right there. You can count on me. He said he would go, but he did not. And he represents all the religious leaders of that day. They gave every appearance of saying yes to God, of doing all the right, of saying all the right things, but in their hearts, they were disobedient to God and far from him. And incidentally, this second son represents a lot of us, the, the religious folks of the day, the good people whose words sound impressive, who know enough to talk a good talk, who have all the right credentials, but whose actual practice falls far short of what is expected. And that's where we're convicted. The first son, working backwards, started out saying no, but then he thought better of it. He repented. He became obedient and went out and worked in the vineyards and did what was asked. He represents all the religious outcasts of Jesus' day. Those who have gone too far to ever be accepted among good people in church. And Jesus symbolized that group with tax collectors and harlots who at first went their own way, but soon came back around to God. The first boy said, nope, I won't go, not me. But his conscience was more active than the other sons. So he later repented and went out and worked in the vineyard. And so Jesus asks, which one of these two boys did the will of the father? And obviously the one who said he would not go, but went out and went and did anyway. At least he came closer to God's will than the second son did. And then Jesus concludes the parable by saying that tax collectors and harlots will enter into the kingdom of God ahead of these religious folks. Talk about offending the average congregation. That would be like me telling you that crooks and hookers will get into heaven before some of you. It's offensive, isn't it? And that's exactly how Jesus' listeners felt. Anyway, of the two bad boys, the first one is the one Jesus prefers, the one whose actions 
not necessarily his words, prove his love for his father. Because he's the one who actually did the will of the Father. And that's what Jesus' question was. Which one of these two did the will of the Father? Well, the one who said he wouldn't, but he went anyway. What does this parable say about us today? Notice, notice Jesus didn't actually commend either son. The second boy was wrong to promise to go and then not go. The first was wrong to refuse to go, even though he later repented and went anyway. So we're dealing with groups of people who say one thing and do another, and those are called hypocrites, words and actions that don't line up. And even though there's nothing easier, I've heard this quote a long time ago and I think about it, there's nothing easier than to convince yourself of your own sincerity. We're all hypocrites to some extent. None of us is exactly who we say we are or pretend to be. There are those of us whose profession is much better than our practice. We say all the right words and we make all the wonderful promises to God, but our practice just doesn't line up. In other words, we are all bark and no bite. Then there are those of us whose practice is far better than our profession. We look and sound tough and mean on the outside, but you might just discover by accident that those are the ones who behind the scenes are performing all kinds of kind and generous acts in secret, almost as if they're ashamed of what they're doing. Some might even be out there professing they have no interest in Jesus, and yet when it gets right down to it, they seem to be living more Christ-like lives than many who sit in the pews at church every Sunday. I may have met one such person Friday afternoon. <clears throat> He's a young man from another um, profession of faith, another religious background, another nationality, um, came into our church parking lot and knew that our church was housing evacuees. And he said in broken English, what do you need? I want to help. I own a convenience store in town and I want to supply what your needs are. And so Carla got a list together, mostly bottled drinks, water, milk, snacks. And this man left about an hour later. He came back with a pickup truck full of bottled water, Cokes, um, about 32 gallons of milk, um, breakfast foods, all kinds, of, just, just overflowing. And I don't know if he knew Jesus, but he sure represented love and what motivated his heart that day. The point of this parable is that while the first group might seem to be preferred over the second group because they actually did the will of the Father, neither group is right. Neither group is perfect. The disciple of Jesus is one who matches his profession with his practice. Someone has said you only believe as much of the Bible as you act on. You only believe what you do. So if you can't say you believe all this Bible, you can't say you believe all this Bible from cover to cover, but then only act on portions of it. You act on how much of it you actually believe. It's like the man who crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope. You've heard this story. His name was Blondin, and he was a great circus performer. 
He crossed the falls on a tightrope several times, walking, running, even dancing in high winds without a net. And then he brought out a wheelbarrow and filled it with bricks and pushed it across. And then he turned to the audience that was just in awe on either side of the falls, just clapping and shouting. He said, who believes I can put a man in this wheelbarrow and push him across Niagara Falls on a tightrope? And they all said, oh, I believe you can do that. I believe you can do that. And he said, okay, who's first? And every hand went back down. Many people say they believe, but there's a difference, a huge difference between the faith we say we have and the faith we actually practice. The true measure of faith is not our walk, it's our talk and what we're prepared to do. And so this parable concludes with a warning and a promise. We have fair warning that despite our promises, if we fail to perform, we may well find ourselves at the bottom of the waiting list when we enter the kingdom of God because he said tax collectors and harlots are going to get in ahead of you. But there's also a promise. It's not too late to repent and do the Father's will and be accepted and forgiven. Jesus said early on in the Sermon on the Mount, if not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So on the last day, what is it we hope to hear God say? Well said, my good and faithful servant. Well thought, my good and faithful servant. I remember. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because love is a verb. It's something you do. Bow with me. Father, we know all the right words and often say all the right things. And yet you know what's in our hearts. And oftentimes they are far away from you as they can be. And there are sinners out in the streets of Tifton who are probably closer to you than we are because they know their sin. They know they're in need of a physician and are far more ready to repent and find forgiveness than those of us who think we need no forgiveness. And so just remind us that there's no one perfect, no, not one, that all of us are sinners and all of us need your grace. And when we say that we believe in you and love you, give us the resolve, the strength, the spirit to do what we say so that our practice will keep up with our profession and we won't undermine what we say we believe by what we do. We thank you for those who have served this weekend and reflected your love. We continue to pray that you give us additional opportunities to love and follow you wherever you might lead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.